everyone, it's Lauren from the Improv Teachers. I'm so excited once again to be coming to you this month. Uh, it's been a great month. I'm loving the uh, interviews I've been having lately and once again, excited to share with you guys. So this month I'm talking with Lauren Esposito. She, one, has a great name, hi. Two, she's a teacher and performer with the Syracuse Improv Collective in Syracuse, New York. She performs regularly with the resident team, Susan B. Anthony and Heavy Metal Heatwave. Lauren has been improvising since 2009 and started teaching improv in 2012. Her training as an improv teacher first began at the Allen Alda Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. First of all, it's really cool. Second of all, it's like a mouthful. She's also studied with improv teachers at UCB, Magnet, and has performed in festivals uh, up and down the East Coast, the Northeast, Central New York, and New York City. She has taught improv workshops at Syracuse, Stony Brook, and will be teaching at Marywood University come this fall. She enjoys helping others use improv to improve communication and leadership through college classes, corporate workshops, and professional development with high school teachers. Uh, Lauren is a lot of fun. I've met Lauren about a year ago, and uh, we automatically hit it off because, again, really cool names. Um, and she's just doing great work and you're going to get a lot out of this interview and I'm really excited. So here we go, everyone. This is Lauren Esposito and this is The Improv Teachers. So, so I just like to jump into it and start with, do you remember the first improv class you taught? First improv class I taught? Yes. Um, I actually, when I began teaching improv, I started doing it in an environment that some people might describe as applied improv. I was doing it as a instructor um, and even as a teaching assistant in graduate school. Um, so I was in a program where I was uh, doing my PhD at Stony Brook University and I was doing improv as a hobby for fun on the side, getting involved in a troupe and, and performing in different places. And I started seeing the connection to what I do as a, as a writing teacher. And the first improv class I taught was one in, I think it was an upper level English class that one of my friends was teaching. And so I came to her class and I taught improv in connection to, I think they were uh, uh, Dracula. They were, they were reading Dracula. So students were reading Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I'm a grad student studying improv. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. She's like, so why don't you come and try it out on my students? And I asked her, are you sure? She's like, yeah, no one's observing us. It's not, you know, not, you're not going to do anything, you know, that's going to put anybody in a bad situation. It was just kind of, let's try this out. So students had read a chapter or so of, Bra of Dracula. And um, I came up with these exercises in improv, uh, both warm-ups, shorter exercises, and then I had them do longer scenes inspired by a passage or a quote from the novel. And they took on the characters from the book and then they were improvising it and doing scenes off of it. Um, and we even did some yes ending in a circle. We did as a brainstorming strategy, I remember. Uh, so that was really my first introduction to teaching improv was using it in that situation. Um, and from there, I started doing it more in my own classes where I would teach and students would use improv to explore a role play. They might've been writing a research paper, an argumentative paper. And I started seeing connections between, here's how we're gonna explore these different perspectives. I put them in a scene, I think we were looking at, I can't remember now if it had to do with a change of policy on campus or if it was something related to, uh, I can't remember if it was cell phone policy or not not being allowed to have cell phones in the classroom it was something that they were arguing and i said okay so imagine you're the administrator imagine you're a faculty member imagine you're a student 
how could we improvise in a structured role play? So a lot of this comes from like process drama and drama and English language arts. So that was kind of my, my first step into teaching it. And then I fell in love with it and wanted to just teach straight up improv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask. So is that, that's probably what led you to be like, oh, no, this has got so many things. This is a lot of fun to do. Yeah. So from there then, um, so what are you, um, because then you launched into teaching improv for improv sake, right? Mm -hmm. And so where, um, where did you start teaching? Is it the same place you're teaching now or how that, how that journey unfold for you? Yeah. So the journey unfolded for me when I moved to Syracuse, New York for a teaching position, I started teaching straight up improv that was outside of being in a college classroom. I started taking classes with the Syracuse Improv Collective. Before then, I had taken classes at UCB and Magnet Theater as a performer. So I just kept wanting to perform and then had the opportunity to start teaching with this group uh, in central New York. And that's where it became classes, workshops, drop-ins, advanced workshops that were just purely improv. But my background and training would always find ways to connect it maybe if students were looking to do other things with improv, public speaking, things that weren't straight up performing. There right. was opportunity, but that's where I really dug into to just really teaching improv. Awesome. So what are you um, what are you teaching right now, if anything? Because I know right now you're in a little bit of a transition. It's summer for you. So you're you don't have to teach in a regular school right now. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, my my day job has, you know, sort of stepped back and now the improv right. is Right. It's like, yes, three months off. Uh, right now, so I'm also transitioning. I'll be teaching somewhere different in the fall. I, I told you I'll be working with um, Diana Scott Shields in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We're going to work on, on teaching improv there. So right now I've just been teaching drop-in classes. Several months ago, I've been teaching these themed workshops. One was an improv for writers class. One was mindfulness and improv. And then also the intro level courses um, and some senior classes I've taught in the past with the Syracuse Improv Collective. Most recently, I've been excited about teaching workshops that bring other people together that have an expertise that I see that could also benefit us as performers too. So that's been kind of fun to just sort of bring the improv part and then see what other people want to bring to teaching improv and how people might take something from that. Um, I'm going to want to jump to that in a second uh, and sort of like how you're marrying the two, because I feel like a lot of people probably do that as well. And they probably could use some like tips and tricks of like when you're about to like invite. Oh, that's good. I'm making noises all over the place. Um, uh, when you're bringing someone else in, like setting up those expectations and making sure they get that across. Also, we'll, uh, we'll put a pin in that. We'll come back to that for, but I want to talk about like, um, I want to talk about all, but let's start with themed workshops. Uh, are you just, so sometimes I'll do a theme workshop also, and it's basically because I'm like, ooh, this sounds interesting to me. <laughs> so I'll create of where you're diving off from. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, and it, and it challenges me too to think about my teaching in a new way. I mean, the, the, I, I love teaching like a drop-in improv class. I love being able to be the first point of contact maybe for some people. I really enjoy that and hopefully they stick around and want to do more or they just come back to another drop-in. So I find that as a teacher, it, it always challenges me to go back and forth between the different types of class, working with different types of students. The theme types of workshops, uh, it, it is, it's a challenge. It's, I want to try this out. I want to do more of this, but also it gets me to think in new ways as a teacher. Like how, how do I want to teach this? I've got people who maybe have done this for a while or they're, they've done the beginning level courses. What is it like now? How can I restructure my brain to figure out how I would break this down and teach it? Uh, and 
if it's a theme workshop too, what can we get out of the one day that we're going to do this? That's also a big thing that weighs on my mind. It's like, okay, this is exciting. I want to try this out. Maybe it's not a six week class. So what might be a small piece without taking on so much? So it feels like we walk away with, okay, we took a part or we took this piece of it. And that felt great. And if it goes into something bigger, like a longer class, that's great too. Yeah. So it sounds like you're really, um, you really are looking at like, what is the takeaway they can leave from this? And then from there going backwards and being like, all right, what's going to fit to make sure I reach that goal for them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like recently, so I, I worked with um, uh, someone here in, in Syracuse who does a lot with mindfulness and meditation. And she's also an improviser. And we had talked recently about doing a workshop that brought in just some of those techniques from mindfulness about ob observation, about listening, about breathing. And I found it a really worthwhile experience just to sit down with her and to talk about how each of those things might come together. And then it was, well, how might that help people who want to perform then? What, what, how does that translate into either strategies or approaches for the stage as well as off stage too? Uh, and it was a great opportunity for me to step back and say, okay, I don't have that expertise in mindfulness, but I have this other thing in improv and I'm open to feedback and I'm open to hearing how the things that she is able to bring to the table, we can build on together and create a three hour, four hour workshop that does that for students. Um, and I'm cool with stepping back and saying, okay, what do you want to take the lead on? What will I take the lead on? And then what are some three major things we want students to walk away with? Nice, awesome. So um, with drop-ins, because you sort of touched on that, and I agree, drop-ins, um, I find that drop-ins, I also will enjoy being the first point of contact someone has, but uh, I lately, uh, as of late, have really stepped back and let other teachers do the drop-ins. More, one, great, they can have the experience, but also like, I need a little bit of a break from being your first one to kind of do that, you know, like I just, um, and I mean, like, I love the introduction stuff, but every now and then I just need a break and I get to dig into a little bit of the deeper stuff and then I get tired of the deeper stuff and I want to go back to the intro stuff. So what do you think are some, um, because people usually start like, right? They're like, oh, my small community could use some improv, but they know people are afraid to commit to something long term, so they usually start with a drop-in class. What do you think are some challenges uh, with a drop-in class that you've encountered? Yeah, so with drop-ins, and we, so in Syracuse, we do two a month. So we also try to figure out what, what our audience, you know, needs, but also what would be, you know, enough so that way people get exposure and, and they have an opportunity to come back. I, it's funny, recently um, I, I went to a drop-in as an attendee. So I also, I'm also part of a community where people in Syracuse are really supportive and want to see each other succeed, which is so important for me and for, for just be staying energized by improv. And I recently went to a drop-in that I wasn't teaching and I started feeling nervous in the car right over. I was like, why am I so nervous? And I'm like, wait, I do this all the time. Like, what's wrong with me? And then I thought, well, who's going to be there? And like, you know, what, what if I don't look good? I'm like, wait a minute. These are all of the things that a person who doesn't normally do this also feels when they go. I've done this for 10 years now, and I still feel this way when I go. So it was just such a really cool reminder of, oh, right, I'm set to, I'm ready to hit the ground running when I teach a drop-in, but I have to take a breath and remember these people are really taking a leap. 
I, I remember teaching some drop-ins uh, probably a year ago. And I remember talking with this one woman afterwards and she said, I almost didn't get out of my car. Like I almost got back into my car and left because I was so terrified. And thankfully afterwards she said she wasn't terrified anymore. So I felt like, okay, good. We, we, we sort of broke that and we sort of did this together. But I just have to remember that while my enthusiasm is a big part of my energy, that I also want to be mindful of the people who just stepping in the door is a challenge for them. Not just doing the exercises, not just, you know, putting themselves out there and doing a scene that might bomb, not just, you know, being silly and vulnerable in front of strangers, but just the mere decision to come. And I want to acknowledge that and honor that and just keep that in mind when I, when I teach a drop-in. Um, and people who take advanced level courses might be feeling that way too. But I have noticed that there really is a big, a big step that a lot of people are taking. And I think of a drop-in as like, yeah, it's just another Tuesday. But for some people, this is the day they're going to show up for a drop-in. And to them, yeah. it's a huge thing. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I don't know about you, but I tend to like also for drop-ins, especially if I think it's going to be a lot of first-time people or very green improv people, I, I make sure that a lot of the exercises are those large circle warm-up exercises. Because there's something about like being in this together that helps for those people who like just coming in the door was a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. Part of like reading the room is, is such a huge thing where we'll start with more low stakes, big group exercises and we'll build towards the more high stakes, two person, three person scene. Um, and I even remember like talking with other drop in teachers. Sometimes it's even having a plan B. I mean, we're improvisers. So right. This is our thing, but I taught a workshop a couple months ago. I was a drop-in actually, not a workshop, a drop-in. And sometimes you get experienced improvisers that are looking for that extra day of the week to get in the extra reps to practice. And that had been maybe the pattern for a while. So I planned a lesson that was a little more advanced, a little more kind of, and there was only one other improviser that I knew of that regularly performed and then a room full of new people. And it became like on the spot in my brain, okay, I'm going to go to the plan that I usually do when I have newer people. So just kind of being flexible and realizing it's not about the purity of the lesson plan. It's more about who's there in front of me. What might they get the most out of? And it wasn't what I planned to do that night, but it became better because those are the people that were there. So I had to let go of what my vision was and just know who's in front of me. Yeah, that's the huge uh, takeaway for a lot of teachers, I think, is one, um, the workshop you planned isn't necessarily the workshop they need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And two, uh, again, teaching isn't about you and your vision. It's about um, guiding others to elevate their voices. So you've got to be able to let go of like, your ego and your agenda and just pivot and, and help them out in that moment. Those are such big... Those are such big lessons, and, I, and some people get to them faster than others. Um, so yeah, those are just huge. With the drop-in class specifically, because again, I think that's one of those things where like sometimes we forget. Um, and do you do any like pre like hey uh, well besides welcome, but like here's the ground rules so that people can feel safe, so that they know that like this is a, this is going to be a safe environment uh, that they can do all of these. Do you have anything that like the standard that you do for that? Yeah, we do. So as part of the, the improv collective here in Syracuse, we as a, as a, uh, a group um, and as a subgroup, our education committee has 
put together a statement um, and it doesn't mean our instructors have to read it verbatim and be robots, but we wanted to put on the same page, like here's what we value and we want to create an inclusive, accessible, you know, equitable environment and we want people to be comfortable to take creative risks, but if they're uncomfortable in other ways that they can stop the scene, that there will be no questions if they want to step out, that we also as instructors will stop the scene if we notice something is either uncomfortable or if there's, whether it's content or a physical choice that isn't supporting other people. And that's helped us sort of set the tone for expectations at the beginning. And I know for me that the, uh, the fair play guidelines coming out of Minnesota has been a big part of how I also want to try to convey to people what level we're at in terms of content, in terms of also physical contact. And at the beginning of a drop-in, it might just be, hey, tonight it might just be something like a high five or maybe a tap on the shoulder. And that's the extent. We're not going to lift anybody up or grab anybody or, you know, because this is where we're at. We're mostly strangers and that's kind of what's comfortable. And, and I found that it just, it kind of just sets up an environment where we're supportive, but this is also what's appropriate in this space. And this is also a place where you as the person participating, you have the right and you have the agency and you, I want to empower you to also make that choice. But sometimes it's just, I don't want to say it's like the, 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 the bad stuff. It, it's just like the important stuff. And I think the more we do it as teachers, it becomes more of a regular thing that we do. And then it becomes more normalized and familiar for us to at the start of every workshop, this is the stuff we do. And these conversations will become less stigmatized as like the, the heavy stuff. Well, it's part of what we do. So it becomes important and it, well, it is important and it stays that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing. We were just having a conversation internally at our theater about starting to, um, cause we're in Florida, so we're behind. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we as a theater need to start being like, in addition to here's uh, the levels and here's how we play, also be like, hi, I'm Lauren, my pronouns are she and her, um, and uh, welcome to the class. So that way it opens up when people introduce themselves, if they'd like to announce that their pronouns are different, you know, are they, whatever they are, they, he, she, then that also opens the door to making it feel comfortable, like, oh, they already know it, they already do that, versus, versus being like, so what's your pronoun, right? Like not putting it on a person or a student. Um, and it's something that like, I know a lot of workshops when I've been out West have been doing consistently. And I'm like, right, because it's California. <laughs> or even the East Coast. But again, we're the South. And I was like, you know what? It's not an excuse. So even if we get like blank stares from 90% of the people, that 10% are gonna be like, oh, I feel welcome here. Absolutely. So it's, it's time for all of that also to shift and start um, and doing all that. And so, yeah, it's all of those things that like just normalizing those conversations, like this is how we are, this is how we do it, and there's no big deal to it, good, then everybody's on the same page. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's when we, the teachers, feel a little like stuttering and stepping on it that it doesn't feel like, oh, this is a normal thing. So we just also need to normalize the conversation. And for me, that happens in the, um, when I train, like train my teachers, like when we do workshops together and stuff like that, we can practice that amongst each other so that they can just get out there and be normal. Um, so have you ever had, have you ever had a student stop a scene and be like, no, time out, this isn't working for me? Um, it's really, it's, you know, it's a really good thing to talk about. I think I remember there may have been, I'm trying to remember, so I also teach level one too. So I also teach a lot of beginning, uh, kind of like taking a step from the drop into the level one class. And I'm trying to remember now, um, 
Sounds so long ago. Uh, there may have been a scene where um, someone was going to maybe lift somebody up in a scene and the person jumped back and said no. Um, oh, and this reminds me too, going on what you said about pronouns, I also find it helpful, and I've learned this too by going to other workshops, if anybody has any anything um, that they, that they any, any preference in terms of their own physical, uh, you know, um, boundaries, that that can also be a part of the pronoun conversation, then it be, can become, you know, again, a, a typical part of what we do at the start of a, of a drop-in. Um, so I remember someone maybe went to go reach for someone to pick them up and the person stepped back right away. And that might've been the only time that someone self-edited or just sort of stepped away from the scene. I noticed that there are times when I teach and I can see people's faces and I can see people become uncomfortable, but I notice that whether, and I don't know what's going on in their mind. Sometimes I'll ask them, but sometimes it might just be uncomfortable and we just talk about the scene itself and maybe not what they're, what they're thinking. Although I want to create an environment where they can. Sometimes I can see it and they don't stop themselves and I want to stop it or I want to try to gauge what that moment is and make a decision. So I wonder, maybe over time people will become more comfortable self-editing um but i i also can't help but think am i setting up an environment because as the teacher they want to stick it out and do it but i want them to know that even if they self-edited they're still doing their they're still being a part of it like it's not like they're not engaging or participating um so yeah. I see it. yeah i think that's also a good takeaway of like how you the teacher that's why you're so tired after class because you're on all the time because you're not just watching the scene you're watching the facial expressions you're watching the students around you you're watching if you're doing montage stuff you're watching the students on the wings and you're making moment by moment calls of like oh they're about to step into some real shit but you know then you have to be like okay what level is this where are they at how long they've been working together right so it's all those quick 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 decisions your brain is doing in that moment and that's why teaching isn't for everyone really because it's performative and you're always you're just on all the time and it's also why like even when I coach I'm on all the time and um, people will want to come up to me afterwards and I'm just like I want to give you my attention but I also I can't give you my attention like I will try to give you some of my attention and if it's gonna be one of these really heavy conversations I will set up another time to talk to you so that you can have my full attention because my brain power <laughs> oh totally like like drained like i need to go into a hole when i'm done like it's so funny and you know hearing people that i talk to in improv say you know i'm such an introvert and it's like but you're so gregarious in your outgoing energy it's like well i bring the energy to set a tone for the room where people are energized and excited as well as feeling like this is an environment that's going to be supportive so i'm as well as i'm observing i want to be supportive i want to i'm wearing all these hats that you're right at the end i just want to crawl into my blanket and watch Netflix for five hours because yeah. I'm, I'm mentally checked out at that point. So you're right. I would much rather be aware of that as a teacher and then tell a student, sure, can we follow this up next time? Or can we schedule a time to meet? Because this is important to me, but I'm just mentally not fully present right now because of this. And I want to make sure we talk about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, those are just important things as you become uh, a teacher. Uh, the physical contact thing, I also still... So with, uh, with the teams that we manage, in addition to the classroom, every quarter we do a physical check-in because people's boundaries change. Yes. Um, you know, whether it's something as simple as, guess what, guys, I'm getting old and now I have a frozen shoulder, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so don't grab my arm and pull me across the room. It's right. Either one of us, yeah. Right. To like, no, I thought I was okay with this, but it turns out I'm not okay with this. So, um, yeah, so it's, con it's a constant checking in. 
of yeah. just like, hey, what's going on? Let's do this. What's going on? Um, do you, <laughs> what has your experience been as a female teacher? Mm. Uh, I, I feel, so I'm, I think, I think it's really interesting, like when you say check-ins and stuff too, because I think it's important for teachers to have check-ins. Like I really enjoy that I can check in with other teachers here in Syracuse. And even when I was teaching in uh, at Stony Brook and I, I trained with the Allen Alda Center for Communicating Science. I also got to work with people who were using improv with grad students. And it, it was a really great thing to have teachers supporting other teachers. So it's interesting, not only, you know, going to a group of people and saying, hey, I'm having this issue as a teacher, but it's also interesting to listen to other teachers, male teachers, other teachers talk about their experience in the classroom and be able to say, huh, so that's not mine or here are things. So it's just kind of this interesting way where, you know, um, where gender, where other social norms and constructs become part of not just how I teach, but who am I in the room? How do students perceive me? Um, and sometimes there's a, a level at which I want to come across as like, here are my boundaries. You know, I think there's an expectation maybe that's different with male teachers. And it's kind of been helpful to just listen to what their experiences are and share mine and be able to say, yeah, no, for me, it's important that I don't come across as being seen as like, your mom and you're going to unload all of these emotional responses onto me because we're still a teacher student or I'm not your best friend or and 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 and, and there's an expectation like oh well you know you're you're gonna I'm having this other issue where you know in my daytime life as a teacher I also experience sometimes where I have to remind students like hey I'm here to listen here are some other resources or here's a referral or you know, or, hey, I'm not going to hang out with you Friday night. I mean, I know that there's a different, you know, there's a difference there too. It, it is, um, it is an interesting thing to navigate, but I think I'm trying to become more aware of what that is. And I think for a while, I wasn't sure how to convey that to, to students in the classroom. So it's just, um, it's interesting what students' perceptions are um, and what other teachers don't, don't experience. And then you realize I couldn't do that or even how I dress, like there are times where I think about what I wear to an improv, advanced level, intro level, where I want to come across as professional, but also not too stiff, but also, you know, just like that's part of my persona. It's, it's a weird thing, but like who I am in the classroom as a teacher, totally informed by, you know, my background too, my identity, you know, trying to be aware of that too. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. We, um, one of the teams I coach, we have this ongoing joke because because I am a parent, uh, I think that sometimes I'm just naturally, like that natural parenting instinct will come out sometimes. But also, I'm not their goddamn mom, you know, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and then sometimes I'm like, I'm not anything right now but the director, so shut up and show up, right? Mm -hmm. So we were having this joke because something came up and I was like, I'm just not, I don't want to be people's moms. And someone was like, oh my God, you can be the cool aunt. I was like, I don't want to be a cool aunt. Like, cool, you're like that inappropriate uncle. I'm like, that works. Yes. <laughs> the <laughs> uncle was like, hey, let me teach you about things before your parents were really ready for you to learn. <laughs> right? Like, I can be cool. I don't, you know, well, and it's interesting too, because there, there's this line that I've been trying that sort of like, I don't know, dance around or think about where I want to be supportive, but I can be direct. Like, I want to be, you know, this idea that I can be a good teacher without you seeing me. I mean, and there, and everyone has different styles and I don't mean that we can't be caring people. Like we're, we're, we're all in this hopefully for the right reasons and we're caring, but how I express that can be different. And, there isn't an expectation where 
uh, I'm not going to give you a hard note or I'm going to be kind of like really, you know, like I'm going to be direct. And, and if I'm going to side coach, I tend to let you know I'm going to side coach. So sometimes there's a resistance there where, where I try to let you know, hey, I'm going to side coach. This is different. But I've had more resistance sometimes from other students that in other classes, other teachers for different reasons may feel differently. But I think I just have to for me, let my students know that like, hey, this is my style. And when I'm being this direct, it doesn't mean I don't care or it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Um, where I've seen people kind of shut down if it's a different a different approach. And I think that's with anything. It's just expectations, letting people know this is right. what you can expect. Yeah, I always, um, especially when people have me for the first time, like I talk fast, but it doesn't mean you can't stop me and ask me to repeat or re go over something. It's just my brain starts going on a roll and it's my mouth trying to keep up, but I'm open to you, like raising your hand and be like, hey, hold on a second. Um, I am direct. I don't have time. Like, look, trust me, you're doing great. And I will, I will fold that in, but I'm also here. You're, you're paying me to learn. Uh, and I have this expertise, so I'm not going to be like, cool, nothing there. And then the other one I give a lot is if I'm not giving you a note, it's because I've got nothing to give you. It's not going to do anything wrong or do anything bad. Or don't be like, oh, my gosh, he's giving this person a note, but not that person a note. In this moment, in this scene, with this exercise, I might not have a, a note for you. Mm -hmm. I'll probably have something later. But in this moment right now, don't get heady about, like, what did I do if I'm not getting, like, a note. Um, so I lay all of those down all the time. Um, and then and then I cuss a lot when I teach, too. That's just something that, like, tend to do uh, the way I, I think it's my filler words right throughout so you go figure all right so with squanton coming up yes is there um is it a community you're folding into or are you guys going to be creating some of that educational foundations from scratch sure to be totally honest, I'm learning as I go. Um, I've, I've been in touch with people who are there and everyone's super excited. And I've, and there's also a, a rich, you know, improv and comedy, you know, community there already. Um, and, and I think it's really great to be able to, to step into something that exists and figure out um, what people are interested in, what, what, if there's a need, are there needs, what do they look like? So it's, whenever I step in, it's kind of just like, I'm going to hang back and observe as well and figure out, you know, what's, what are people interests and, and how, and how can I, like, what, what can my skills and my abilities bring? What can I give? And, you know, rather than what can I take and like where that might fit with what people are looking for. And right now it's been kind of just learning as I go. There's a, um, this, the Scranton Fringe Festival is happening, I think in October and September of this year. And there's going to be a comedy element to that too, that maybe uh, just kind of brings a lot of those comedic artists and performers together under kind of like one umbrella or maybe just kind of like bring them together on a particular show night. So it's been kind of cool to see that this has been in, in existence and growing. And I um, would love to, if there's a need, and I think there is one to just uh, offer workshops or find out what people are interested in doing. There's been a couple jams. There's been even some workshops that have happened already. One that I attended that was fantastic. And it brought in um, people were talking about wanting to do more and never having done improv and this is what gets them wanting to do more of it or just begin the process um 
So yeah, I find I never want to step in and be like, hey, so like, you know, let me just come in and fix everything. I think that's right. awful. And, and, I, and I never have a good experience being on the receiving end of that, having, right. you know, like walking in and being like, well, nothing's broken. So I don't know what, you know, why you got it. So it's kind of just like, hey, what, what can I give? And what's, what's been my style and how does that fit with what your style is? And then maybe I can bring something that's totally new and focus more on, you know, doing a, a long form style that I just tend to love. And I want to see if other people want to try it out too. Right. That's kind of cool. I think my, over the past three, four years, the biggest thing on my mind has been like these smaller communities of improv and where they've grown and how they develop has been so cool. And it's been great to see improv in so many other cities that I, you know, when you hear the big names, I mean, New York and Chicago and LA are fantastic and awesome, but I just, I really am so excited by these smaller networks that I think would be great as we connect more both as people going to festivals, like I just got back from Rhode Island, they've got an awesome festival there, great theater. It's cool to see other theaters popping up too, or just other groups that don't have a theater. Like right now in Syracuse, we don't have a physical location, but we have places that we perform in the city. So it's trying to also help and talk to other people who are dealing with some of those same kinds of, I don't wanna say they're always issues, sometimes they're advantages, you know? Right. Sometimes it's nice to like say, hey, we can build this from the ground up, what do we wanna do? Right, yeah. For sure. Um, what, so, yeah, so with the way Syracuse is set up right now, um, is, you all have a leveled system, because you said you're also teaching like level one and stuff. Is it a leveled system throughout? What does that look like? Yeah, so we, we also do levels. So we have level one, which is sort of like introduction to improv, some of the basics, core concepts and skills. We have level two, which is more scene work and character building. And then level three, which is the Herald. And then we also do level four advanced level classes and workshops. Um, and those can change. We kind of consider them as like topics in improv in a way, like depending on what the need is, but what our instructors want to teach. It might be centered around a form or it might be, you know, either a particular form of long form or it could just be focused on just game or character building. Um, and that might be the, the emphasis, yeah. So with that, do you guys, because um, a lot of small communities, this is not a thing. Is it everybody goes forward no matter what, unless they've missed so many classes? Is that sort of that's the main, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the main thing, yeah. Have you ever, though, in a level one class been like, mm, I don't know? Yeah, I've, and I think this is where I, I go back and forth in my mind where it's like a level one, I want it to be an opportunity for people to, to be creative and be spontaneous. So I, I always struggle with how do I how do I teach people to play in a certain way, right? Like I want them to be playful and I want them to be spontaneous and I want them to come into this class feeling like I can generate an idea, my contribution matters but there's still a way that we know that you can play more effectively than others to create satisfying scenes. So it's kind of, um, I struggle with maybe after they get into scene work, is that a better, like at what point is there, is there the right gauge to decide if you, you know, are, if you need to repeat or if you need to, or if this is like, you know, the stopping point for you. Um, and then, I mean, the, the way we have it set up in, in Syracuse is you go through all three levels, you know, you have a graduation show and, and there's opportunities to then get on a team. Um, but from going to level one to level two, I, I do like to almost informally share notes with students and maybe, and some might say, hey, I might want to repeat level one. And I might either agree with them or, or encourage them that they just feel so self-conscious that I say, no, 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 you are ready for level two. So it, it can go either way, but I, I do kind of go back and forth with, 
at what point and when and with whom is, is it good to have these conversations? Yeah. yeah, that's one of the reasons why we took away levels and went to topics, if you will, right, or focus, right. so that at some point, if we have to say to someone, you're doing great, you're, you're, you're missing some fundamentals in your character work. So before moving into conservatory, we'd like for you to retake character class. So this way people aren't, uh, I mean, they're going to get upset either way, but um, <laughs> easier blow of instead of us being like, well, now you have to go back to level two when you've worked your way to level five um, kind of thing. So uh, we'll see in like a year or so from now if, how we're feeling about all that. <laughs> yeah, cause, yeah. And it's, and gosh, cause it's a thing where it's, I mean, we're always learning and ongoing. Like I've done, like I've done shows I'm not proud of. I've been doing this for 10 years. I've done, I've taken workshops where I'm like, oh God, I totally suck there. And then to think if that was the moment that my improv ability to go, my journey was going to be judged on, oh gosh, please don't, you know, don't do that. So it's like trying to remember that these levels, like how do you want to use the levels? Are the levels there to just help break down curriculum or are they there really as a prerequisite type of set? So that's where I go back and forth with because sometimes you put someone in a new environment and it's not about their abilities. Maybe it's about something else. So then the level structure might not work for that. So it's, yeah, you got to have wiggle room or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we try to take a look at. And also there's the, the whole component of like, um, are you doing improv? that brings you joy, but are, or are you really striving to be a performer? And those two are also different for us then, because then that's why we have sort of different tracks, if you will, because if you're really looking to just, this is your social outlet and your social club and you would love to perform and this is, you know, but not like all the time and da, 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 da. Cool. We actually have a program for that and we'd love for you to partake in that, you know, if it's, um, I really want to be a performer and that requires me to go up in front of a paid general audience, then we have to have um, some expectations for levels of performance there. Yeah. Yeah. So those are all the, those are, that's the nuance because we do both the education and the artistic piece, right? There's days when I would love to just do the education piece and be like, whatever. So like, and that's the crazy part is like they, they, they're separate, but they're so symbiotic. Like there, there's a way in which your education, like, like what are we producing? Like, or what are our goals? You know, what, what do we have to do? And like, I know so many theaters will have like more of a conservatory type route and one that's, you know, more for people who have decided for me, this is just something I enjoy doing. It's social, but I, I don't have, I don't necessarily see my path leading me to the stage in a, in a consistent, you know, regular kind of way. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think it's, well, and it's recently I've got more onto the side of artistic where I just, I just directed um, an all women's show in, in the past couple months. And it's been interesting to see how I, how it's great when your when your classes that you teach send some of those same messages as your shows, right? Like, like when, if this is the, sh this is the kind of show we want to do and who we are and what we're about, then how does that translate into the classes that you teach? Um, and I think what's a, what's great about where I teach now is we have so many instructors from different places, you know, that are more game heavy, more character heavy, more, you know, so it's great that we have this variety. And I think this, our strength is like, okay, how does this all come together? And then how does that translate into what our shows look like or who we want to be right. when, we, when we face the public in that way kind of thing? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, like we are totally down for people to be trained everywhere. They have, to, in order to teach, they have to have the training of our theater because, because although we welcome all that, there is a strong through line of who of, of our 
aesthetic and our approach to improv that goes through everything from a drop-in to our highest level of performers. And, um, but that through line is also what keeps us on mission and on track. Mm -hmm. So that when someone comes to me, and it's nice because when someone comes to me and it's like, oh, I want to do that, I'm like, that's an amazing idea. That does not fit with the mission and vision of what we do. So here's another way to go do it uh, versus, oh, yeah, we'll give it a try because we don't have a clear through line of who we are. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so, yeah, so it, it's, it's those things that, yeah, they, and they do, they all fold into one another because our education program absolutely has that through line as well. So it's constant, like it's a constant push and pull and tweaking and retweaking and learning and testing and seeing and, and just uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, what do you think it takes to make a strong or quote unquote good teacher? Hmm. A strong, good teacher. Um, there's so many things that I've observed in other teachers. Like I think for me, I'm always, I'm always learning by going to workshops, like not just the content, but who the instructor is, what their style is like and how that differs from mine, what I can take away from it, what I might do differently, not because it's bad or wrong, but because it's just not my style. And I think part of becoming a good teacher is, is, is being reflective, is realizing that you're, you're being and becoming at the same time, if that makes sense. Like you might be a teacher, you have that title because you're in the person in the room who's facilitating and leading, but you're also becoming a teacher at the same time. Like every class I teach, every drop-in has a new group of students. Sometimes people know each other and they feel really comfortable. And sometimes there's only one woman in the room and I'm the, I'm the only other woman. So sometimes I might want to jump in a little bit and, you know, give her an opportunity to perform with another woman. Like, so sometimes my role might change and I might be part facilitator, part participant at the same time, you know? So I think being a good teacher is like realizing what the moment calls for and that you're still in this process of learning how to be a better teacher. You don't have it all figured out. I know I don't have it all figured out. You know, I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm still learning and I surprise myself. Sometimes other people surprise me. So being open to that while giving yourself a chance to reflect on, yeah, sometimes things are going to fail. Like sometimes I don't know something and I'm trying to get comfortable with admitting, yeah, you know, I don't know that, but let's figure it out or I'll come back next class or we'll revisit this. Um, so I think a good teacher is someone who, just like an improv, can be in that fluid state of knowing and not knowing and continuing to know, like all at the same time. Um, if somebody wants to start getting into teaching, do you have any advice for them? Jump in. <laughs> um, find, find good people that you trust who are also teachers. Talk with them from a place of just looking for that extra support or that network of people, I think like this podcast is, has been a huge help for me talking with other teachers in the communities I've been a part of. Um, there are a lot of great blogs and stuff out there, but I find talking to a real person and being able to talk about the challenges, the failures, the rewards, and even just saying, Hey, I have this idea. I don't have a lesson plan yet. I don't know what this is going to look like. Can you help me transform this into an actual thing I could do with people on a Thursday night, you know? Um, I would say run with it, and put, but find good people that can help you do it. Do you have any um, final thoughts or anything that I didn't hit that you wanted to talk about or any of that stuff? Oh, uh, I think uh, for me, I think I kind of like was saying this already. Um, whenever I can put myself in a situation where I'm a beginner again, whether that's something related to improv, like trying a new style of improv, 
um, or trying something, a totally new hobby. Like I always want to try to cook and I suck at cooking and it's not my, my strength. But if I can pick something for, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I got this blue apron subscription. It's going to help me. I'm going to want to cook every day. And you know, it's going to be fantastic and I'll make a blog out of it. No, it doesn't happen. I'm going to make whatever I make and you know, microwave it. But, um, but becoming a beginner again is like, Oh, this is a great way for me to think about how to be a better teacher because now I'm sucking again. I'm failing more often. So this is going to help me figure out how to navigate some of those things as a teacher. So whenever I can be a beginner or try something new, seeing it as an opportunity rather than like, oh gosh, this is calling into question everything I know. No, it's just, it's another opportunity to remind yourself what your students might be feeling, what you might be feeling, you know, each time you go in there. Uh, if people wanted to find you, where can they do that? <laughs> um, they can definitely find me on Facebook as Lauren Rose. They can also find me um, on Twitter. It's uh, L-R-N Esposito is on Twitter. Um, and they can uh, even email me at lauren.esposito at Gmail. They want to email me. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was so fun. I love it. Yeah, I enjoyed this. Thanks so much.